Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours. Um, on this episode, I talked to Emma Consolata. Uh, Emma is a illustrator and comic book writer who I've known several years now. Um, I actually met her because she used to... Uh, she used to work at a record store that I frequented a lot, and we started talking about music and art and stuff like that. And yeah, we've done uh, a lot of uh, uh, drawing together and stuff like that. Not not as far as collaborations, but just sitting down and physically drawing at the same time, which is uh, not something I do often, but it's it's definitely a very rewarding experience. And Emma's just a super interesting insightful person and yeah i really enjoyed this conversation hope you will too thanks It's funny because sometimes I'll do these and I'll have like a conversation like before we start recording and then like I'm like, oh shit, I wish I was recording, wish I was recording. But, you know, when I first started doing it, I would also uh, not tell people I was recording, which I wasn't trying to like catch anyone like in a, like, aha moment, I'm checking to see if it's actually recording because I've actually a couple times thought I started and I didn't, but um no, there was a couple times where I didn't tell people, and then they like, didn't say anything that they didn't want, but they were a little more... Kind of, uh, like, vulnerable, maybe. Yeah, so... I, just, like, more candid than they would have normally right, been. Right, but it I, was more yeah. the fact that, like, and so I, so... But I found with, like, some people, and it's not yeah. that many people, but some people... I'm like, all right, we're recording now. They're like, okay, and kind of like compose themselves and like ch- just change how they're talking. But I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like we've had enough conversations that it, it, it won't won't matter that much, anyways. So, and yeah. I also don't prepare any questions, so it's literally just a conversation. Oh, man. I love it. I love it. Well, it's funny because like I I will it won't be a hundred percent organic only because there's some stuff that I, we'll probably talk about that. I know about like with your comics and stuff that like if it was just me talking to you I already know them but like people listening might not know them so um, yeah Um, but thanks for uh, thanks for chatting with me and having having beverages on this uh blustery November evening yeah well, afternoon love to be here man nice yeah. so you were you were in school today you said yep um, that's part of like uh, the three C's of comics college and cobbling mm-hmm. uh, so taking like a singular uh, English class just to ease myself into the discipline of handing in work on time right. and you know just being on time in general uh, how's that going <laughs> <laughs> I um, well, I missed one paper and I came to class late two times, so I'm doing pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, and it's that's interesting that because um, I didn't necessarily know that was that yeah. was one of the things, but that's good because I found that there's like there's an inverse ratio of the more kind of creative someone is yeah the harder with deadlines it is for them to be um, oh my god it's not yeah. always the case but 
oftentimes is the case. Yeah. Like, when I was, like, manager at Bull Moose, it was, like, so bad. Um, like, because I was, I have a problem with punctuality. Like, it is so hard. And it's been, like, habits, like, that I'm just trying to, like, fix. Like, okay, obviously, don't turn on the television if you have to be somewhere in an hour. Right, right. <laughs> Which is, like, stupid, but right. it has been done by yours truly. Right. Um, or, like, you know, just, like, plan for the night before. So it'd be, like, kind of, like, awkward, like, you know, telling off someone because my district manager's like, hey, they're punching, like, mighty shifty. Right. And I have to, like, you know, have that conversation, like, hey, man, don't get your act together and come to work on time. It's so easy to do so. You just got to plan it. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, then the next day I'm, like, in for, like, 15 minutes late, so. Right. It's not my strong suit. Um, I like to say that, like, uh, having to pay money to be on time mm-hmm. has helped. Right, sure. Yeah, <laughs> so it's an incentive. <laughs> yeah, there's a definite, like, financial yeah. uh, consequence or yeah. not. Yeah. It's funny because I kind of, for commission work, yeah. I like to set deadlines because at this point, most of the commissions that I'm doing are still for people that I know either yeah. good friends or people or friends of friends or whatnot, but people are very, very laid back about it. And they're like, oh, do it whenever. And I'm like, nope. Yeah. I was like, I need a deadline because if you say it doesn't matter, it's literally going on the back burner. It's the last priority for me, including <laughs> yeah. stuff that occurs to me that day. Oh, I'm going to try drawing this. Yeah. Where most people would be like, you've got a commission, work on that. But, because yeah. um, I know for me, if I'm like, when do you need it by? And um, usually people give me enough lead time, but I also work pretty fast. So it's like yeah. once, once I know I have to have it by this time, I'm like... Yeah. Cool. I can have it done in the next three days. I just need to know when I need to do it by. Because I've also told people who know me pretty well who are like, yeah. I think in the springtime I'm going to want you to do a piece. And here's what I'm thinking. I'm like, stop right there. I was like, talk to me in January and we'll figure it out. Because if you tell me about it now, I'm going to start thinking about it. And if it kind of ruminates enough, yeah. then I lose interest. And by the time it comes around to having to work on it, I've overthought it so much that I just don't give a shit. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's part of, like, I feel, um, you know, how, like, you know, there's, like, always, like, the con side of visualizing yourself doing anything. Right. Like, if you've done it enough times, like, then it's like you already did it, or, like, you've desensitized yourself to doing the thing. Right. So you actually have to freaking do it, or, like, if it's not, like, you know, pressing, then you have to, like, you know, like you said, like, get back to me in January, and we'll talk about it. I also have a, like... And this is, from everything that I've learned from people who make a living doing visual art, this is a terrible practice, but I don't, like, a lot of people want to pay for stuff up front in its entirety, and I have to fight them on that. Um, It's one thing to take a deposit, but for me, if they pay pay for it up front, that money is going to be gone for whatever, you know? And then... If I haven't finished it and I already have the money, there's no motivation in my head because yeah, I'm just absolutely. like, oh, I'm not getting anything for this. I mean, yeah. I did get paid for it already, but in my yeah. mind, I'm like, there's no money coming in yeah. from the transaction of handing over a finished piece. So I've like, because people used to do that and it was great. And then I'm like, it's like it killed my motivation. And so I'm like, for myself, I have to 
set up that like have that reward system intact to be able to finish stuff on time totally I mean I guess getting back to college is like getting an A plus or whatever right. but without like doing any work and you have to like do the work afterwards to get that A plus like right. it doesn't make a like a dang sense like with like any person's like thought process right. or whatever I don't know how it is with like um, I mean like Jesus like even like in businesses where in retail like you put X amount of money and then you have like stuff on rebate or whatever but it's like stuff that you still have to pay for and that's the incentive to I guess like sell X amount of DVDs or whatever right right boring business stuff right (laughs) yeah we were we we were talking about the uh, the the boring business side of Blade Runner 2049 and how how it even though yeah. on paper it was a success it actually was not yeah. that's so freaking shameful God. but and it's, it's it's weird too because we were also like because we were talking about midsummer and you know we mentioned the joker earlier it's a weird like I'm surprised at how successful like Midsummer was a hit. Yeah. Like and that to me, like I thought it was great when I saw it, but I was like, I'm surprised this is opening this wide and I'm surprised that like so much of the United States has embraced it because it's not a mainstream film. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with The Joker. I mean, The Joker is now the highest grossing R-rated film of all time, which yeah. I never would have guessed. So it's, I don't know, it's... And I kind of feel like you got to get thrown into a BuzzFeed article. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, yeah. I do think it's one of those things that yeah. people kind of get told, oh, you have to see this. And they're like, oh, shit, well, so-and-so's talking about it, so I guess I do have to see it, where yeah. it may not have been from a place of genuine interest because I mean like we were talking about before like not a lot of people went and saw Blade Runner 2049 but that was also one of those things that I think it's looked at as like oh it's just a corporate sci-fi whatever where it was like oh another remake right right yeah which it really isn't it really isn't and like uh, that's a movie that I've talked to people a lot about and I know it drives a lot of people nuts because like I, I couldn't really get through the first Blade Runner because it's it's not yeah. an action movie. It's a yeah. it's a slow moving like noir drama set yeah. in a sci fi casing. I guess. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It's like um, I don't know. It's like almost like a study of Zen. Like you have to be like patient for stuff to unfold before you. And, sure. Like, you know, you can't have it like spoon fed to you. I mean, that's what was amazing about Blade Runner and like the Blade Runner. T- like it was just like this like delightful presentation of you know spanning shots and I guess I didn't realize it was like handmade sets or miniatures that's insane yeah it was nuts like so much thought goes into that type of shit and it's just um and like the whole when they're when they're coming into Vegas and it's you know it's been like basically encompassed by the by the desert storm like that's yeah. all I'm real really sets too we have mozzarella in front of us right now so we might be slightly distracted while we're talking <laughs> like, that's alright it's, you know, it's cheese yeah man there we go there we go um, what I uh, we, we took a diversion earlier so college 
comics and cobbling. Those are the three C's. So, uh, which uh, which of the which of the other C's you want to talk about now? Oh uh, man, um, cobbling's how I'm paying the bills right now, so we don't have to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> but um, like, how did I mean? I know how yeah. you got into it, but how did you get into it? Oh yeah, cobbling. well, for the viewer right. or listener. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my dad had a. Uh, has a, had a cobbler shop for more than 25 years, so as long as I've been around. Mm-hmm. Um, he bought it from uh, Pee Wee, the uh, cobbler over in the Foxstone Mall back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, I guess, you know, his thing. So it's been, I guess, like since I left my place of work for the last five years, and I just wanted to kind of like restart everything fresh and get into like artwork and go back to school and get a little bit smarter about shit like um, it was kind of like an easy end because he needed help and oh hi Sandy um, he needed help for like you know uh, the front desk and everything because he is overwhelmed with work right now he is the only guy in the 45 mile radius which is nuts um, yeah so it was just like an easy thing to do for me right now it's temporary for the next, I guess, maybe like a year or two. Yeah. But it works out because the schedule is flexible. It pays well. And it's stuff that I am somewhat familiar with, like growing up around. Yeah. So. Have you have, have you cobbled much yourself? <laughs> I don't know if I'm using that word correctly or not. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, like fixing up some heels, like popping them off, uh, which is a lot harder than you think because it just requires a lot of leverage when you're trying to take a heel off of a shoe. Right. <laughs> so fucking hard. I'm so weak. Um, well, it's a tra- I mean, it's a trade. It's one of those things that, I don't know, I never I never gave that much thought to. It was something that I, I was like, well, it's something very specific. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting about it because, like, uh, growing up, um, obviously my dad's, like, a total craftsman. Um, there's a level of, like, you know, attention to detail and artist to that like it's like furniture making or like uh, framing or something like there's always a like there's a quality of art to it like it is an art form yeah Um, but at the same time what I didn't expect was that it's a lot of just I guess like uh, working off of like you know years of like skills and years of experience with other shoes and like just kind of like um, like every shoe's going to be different like every manufacturer makes it differently so you kind of like have to on the fly learn how to repair something correctly so that it's like nearly seamless Yeah. you know and it's yeah. all like dependent on like the material that the shoe is made how it's designed you know what materials you have to repair it with like that will all kind of like meld into some sort of like you know perfect equation that will make it like look almost well I wouldn't say brand new dependent on how long you've had it right pretty much brand new so it's almost like so a good cobbler in a way would have to be someone similar to like someone who would restore an old painting or something like that yeah. where you, you want to bring it up so that the work is seamless but it, look, yeah. Yeah, it blends right in with you know the piece that's already there yeah absolutely so I mean like uh, the most common thing is like you know women pumps like uh, those like little uh, top soles are always getting um Sorry, my brain is, like, flustered right now. 
Like they, the heels to like, you know, uh, a high heel, like they pop off like fairly quickly. Right. So I mean like, you know, you always have to like, you know, find like the, the bit that will fit like correctly and yeah. then, you know, put that in and a lot of times like the colors don't match or it's like a little bit too big and you have to grind it down and make it like seamless and smooth and then yeah. paint over it with like wax or polishes or whatnot, stains. Mm. Uh, so that's like hardly noticeable. Um, and there's like a whole spectrum of people who give a shit about you know their their work. Sure. Um, you have like a lot of jobs that they show on the SSRI forum. It's just like a, a cobbler forum on Facebook, um, in which people like you know they love to show like I guess hideous work that other cobblers did. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's almost a joke, um, in which it's like so sloppy and messy and just cringeworthy, and then. I don't know. It's, um, it's hard to say without, like, I guess, like, pulling up pictures. Like, you can sure. tell, like, you can tell, like, uh, good repair work and bad repair work. Sure. Like, even, like, the most layman uh, terms you can tell. Right, you know? right. Sure. I wonder, I mean, it's interesting because, like, so my job that I just left to yeah. to do the, the grocery store job that I have now yeah. full time but I, I and I'm actually going back to it uh, a little bit for the holiday season is doing the watch repair and you know jewelry the jewelry repair stuff which there's actually I know more people who can do the jewelry stuff than the watch side of it and it's one of those things that I never would have I never would have considered it but I also never like thought what goes into doing all the different yeah like specific things to watches and I, I have a friend who you know he, who I text with a lot and he's just like what's it cost to replace a battery and you know it's like start at 15 but it goes up to like 60 bucks and he's like isn't the battery like four bucks I was like well we don't pay that much for the battery we pay less than that but you know you're paying to have it installed and you have the guarantee but I was also like he's like how hard is it to do I was like for me it's not hard at all but I've also been doing it for 10 years and I have the tools to get into it and like take it out without destroying the watch because I've seen plenty of people who to save themselves 20 bucks destroy a $250 watch because they didn't know what they were doing and it's but it's also like it's just one of those things that I think it's a, it's a it's a product that is around yeah. all the time, much like shoes. You yeah. know, pretty much everyone's wearing shoes, but nobody really takes into consideration like what maintenance and repair of yeah. working on like a high high quality piece actually goes into it. So yeah. you know, for sure, yeah, that's where you have like the most arguments with people that are completely detached or disengaged from like I guess you know the amount of time it takes to repair something or the right. amount of time that goes to making something like right. um, I guess like two examples I have is like you know one of like uh, my friends like uh, their uh, like best man or whatever like he um he grew up in a farm, uh, you know, in, I think it was like either Maine or New Hampshire, a cow farm. And so 
he knows like exactly like what goes into like you know producing milk and like producing meat and just in general like what goes into farming right so he'll always pay like you know top dollar no matter like how nearly broke he is to like buy like you know locally sourced you know humane fucking meat and milk like you know a pint of milk that is from like a local farm is going to be like you know five bucks versus like you know two bucks a market practice brand but it's just because it's like a lot of labor that goes into it and I was just kind of like thinking about this now I don't know if I heard it on your podcast or like from someone else like or maybe it's a conversation that we had but it was about like I guess like selling art to other artists yeah you know like homo- like that's almost like preferred audience for sure because you know even though like the artists or like they may not be able to afford as much as you would like to like sell it for right but at least they would be the ones who would appreciate how much time and effort right. it took so right oh no absolutely yeah. and I also like the flip side of that is because I have I have a ton of art in my apartment from yeah. other artists and it's one of my favorite things to when people come in and see it to be like this artist is from here this artist is from here I met them doing this and like yeah. having the whole story attached to it just like gives it such an intangible value to me as well yeah. do you know what I mean it's yeah. just like I don't know uh, yeah now I think artists appreciate how much work is going into it so much more which is like I mean you and I uh, did some drawing the other day mm-hmm. and just just in two and a half hours getting to getting to watch you create yeah. this, this incredibly detailed piece which I mean all your stuff has such insane detail oh, okay. uh, Thank you. which is just you know I mean I'm, I know I've commented online yeah. several times but I've also told you in person like I'm always just like so blown away with your attention to detail and I, and I think I said something yeah. about like how clean your lines were and you're like well you can put filters on and stuff I'm like yeah but I'm looking at it right now with my eyes it's two feet in front of me like it looks incredibly clean to me but also like I saw yeah. You started with a blank piece of paper, and then it was just a couple, like, loose lines to kind of show you where stuff was going, and then you just just went, and it was like, I mean, yeah, you probably spent about, what, two and a half hours on that piece, maybe? Yeah, and I'd say, like, for the most part, that's, like, my average for something of that size. Right. It's usually, like, two hours to, like, three hours. But I think if you were to show it to someone... Yeah. You just be like, see this, see this piece right here. Less than three hours ago, this was just a blank piece of paper. Yeah, that would like, like either a they would be like, no way, or that wouldn't mean anything to them because they yeah. don't understand what goes into it. Yeah, you know, I just watched you, your hands flying furiously, like putting <laughs> literally thousands of little lines in there. Because I, yeah. particularly with my painting, I. Everything's fantastic. Thank you. That was our attentive uh, waitress slash uh, bar tender. Yeah, bar tender. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. didn't know if she actually so, came from behind the bar or not. So, the bar is behind us at the press room in beautiful historic downtown Portsmouth, where we have a view of 
the uh, Thomas J. McIntyre Federal Building, and it says United States Post Office, but it is now a lie because they moved the post office a couple of months ago. Yeah. Where did they move it to, anyway? That's the question. Oh, God. Uh, I don't know. Oh, God. Because okay. every time I punch in Fort Smith Post Office, it, it just brings up this address, and then it says permanently closed. And I was like, but I know it's moved because yeah. people have talked about how it's so out of the way, but I can't find the address. I've mainly been trying to find it because, as you know, I'm currently uh, yeah. without a uh, workable vehicle, so I've walked to work several times, and I'll yeah. walk through Pease because I can mail stuff out from there. I sell stuff on eBay. I was like, if the Portsmouth one is somewhere between where I live and where I work, I'll walk to the actual post office. Because the, the one on Pease is like, it's like a window in a gift shop. And three out of the last four times I've gone there, the woman who actually works the window is on her lunch. And so the woman who runs the gift shop has to do it and she does not know what she's doing. I mean, she, she that's those are her words. She's like, I'm, oh, I haven't been trained on any of this. Oh, wow. Uh, and Because the last time I was okay. there, which was, I think last Thursday, I walked, and she's like, and, and I had timed it right. Uh, thank you. Uh, I had timed it right so that because I was going to see a movie before work, so I gave myself enough time to stop there, mail stuff out, and then get to the movies before work. And she's like, "Oh yeah, she's on lunch. She'll, you know, but she'll be back." I was like, "How long did she go? How long ago did she leave for her lunch?" She goes, five minutes ago. It's a half hour lunch." I was like. I don't have 25 minutes to wait. I was like, I really can't mail it. So she kind of like powered through it, but she's like, I'm really not trained on this. I was like, well, I appreciate you doing this, but. Yeah. So if I could find the real post office and it's somewhere along my journey, I'll go there. But so far, I have not solved that mystery. Gotta ask your listeners, man. Yeah, if there's anyone on the seacoast who knows where the new goddamn Portsmouth Post Office is <laughs> in November of 2019, please get at me. I'd much appreciate it. Because Google has yeah. failed me. But I'm also like, I don't know, it's interesting because, so, you know, going back to the BuzzFeed article comment that you made, like, yeah. A couple years ago, I think I told you about where I did that. I did a trip where I visited all six of the New England state capitals in 24 hours. Yeah. But I put it out on Facebook. I said, hey, where's your favorite coffee place in, you know, in Montpelier, in Hartford, Connecticut? Just because I wanted some recommendations. And I had a couple smart-ass people who were like, Google, dude, or, you know, Yelp. And I was like, I'm not looking for, like, an algorithm or, you know, what's got the best review. You know, like, like I, yeah. I'm i always looking for the kind of, like, the personal recommendations, stuff like that. I'm not, yeah, totally. like... Because, first of all, algorithms are only based off of the information that you've already given them, and they're yeah. trying to recommend more of the same, where, like, I'm looking for new experiences, something that I wouldn't necessarily get based yeah. on what I already know in the world. Yeah, which, you know, absolutely. But also, I don't know, like, for me, like, 
like I don't listen to Pandora, I don't listen to Spotify and stuff like that, and I'm not shitting on those, but like, yeah, as someone who's worked at a record store that I frequented quite a bit, yeah. <laughs> um, I have no problem finding new music I want to listen to, so I don't yeah. need a computer recommending it to me, but I'd also like, uh, one of the things that's like turned me on to new music and to films and to art in general is... Someone not just saying, hey, check this out, but they're like, I love this and here's why. And yeah. it kind of gives me like an entry point into something that um, I wouldn't necessarily know the first thing about. Uh, yeah. Good, good, good real world example of that, actually. So we're walking over here on the way and we bumped into my friend Lisa Michelle Venn. Yeah recent bride of my friend Michael Venn who's been on the podcast several times do you know Mike? I do uh, not fil- so he's a filmmaker yeah. um, We I just recorded an episode of my movie podcast with him last yeah. week but during our conversation to podcast I gave him the story about um, the new Cave-In album and mm-hmm. how that came to be because it's their uh, final recordings with uh, the late Caleb Schofield who, who yeah. died in 2018 but kind of explained to him how that came about and you know so later that day he ended up downloading it and he's just like he's like you know I really appreciated this he's like but also I never would he's like I know you like the band but you like a lot of music yeah. he's like and I didn't I wouldn't have known the story behind the creation of this and that made this that much more impactful for me hearing it knowing kind of the weight behind it yeah and there's you know I can think of you know like 50 artists that I listen to and I can think of oh this person got me into that band because of this particular story I mean I it sounds like a very broad thing but I didn't get into the Rolling Stones till about 15 years ago I was always aware of them but I just didn't have that yeah I was just like I'm aware of them but it's the stuff like they were they were already an institution yeah but it was just kind of but I also looked at it as like oh they're this classic rock like entity didn't mean anything to me and I went on a road trip with a friend who just walked me through ten seminal Stones albums like okay at this point in their career this was going on and you know they made Exile on Manhattan Street with stolen electricity and because they were evading taxes from you know the English so they went to the French countryside and like all this stuff and it was just I was like oh man the Stones like I have like a whole new like appreciation for it but like I never would have like I don't think I ever would have even entertained the idea of being a Rolling Stones fan up until that point so I don't know Uh, yeah I'm always looking for the the sort of real world interactions as opposed to a totally I mean like you, you gotta think about like I don't know with the algorithms of like Spotify I mean it's nice I guess it shows you different music and stuff like that but there's something to be said that like these are all like made by people who are you know like either like already disenchanted with like interpersonal skills and whatever and like talking to people or like you know it's encouraging that so I mean a lot of social media platforms or whatever it's like built by people who you know have like their own biases of how to interact with people and that's not how people are people are like very individual in like you know how they relate with the world so I mean like 
course you're not going to love it, like, going on freaking Yelp or, like, Googling up, like, whatever, you know, is your suggestion. Like, yeah. I'd, I'd take a shitty-ass, like, cup of coffee that I just found on my own and, you know, drink it up. I'm like, okay, well, spent three bucks on this. Uh, it has nice wallpaper. Right. Sure, appreciate the shitty, lovely, beautiful things in life. Right. Move right. on. Right. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, like getting back, I guess, like to that whole theme, like, uh, like for me, it was like uh, with music, I've, I've always just like found it like spontaneously, like on hard a copy. Like, so, you know, working at the record store, you know, you ha- I was like super paranoid about like having anything that was like too aggressive or like that had a bunch of nasty swear words because I didn't grow up in a like really well uh, I didn't really grow up familiar with a lot of music that other people already grew up with like maybe Good Charlotte right. Green Day like maybe those were the ones sure. Nirvana in high sure. school uh, in middle school but for the most part like you know my music was just like influenced by my parents and that was just like you know Enya right. and you know some like Russian pop star from the Soviet Union right. Ala Pukachova um so I mean like working at the record store like I'd have to like you know take a random CD because I didn't have an iPod or whatever and just like pop it in and it'd usually be from like the world section and it'd just be something that I would be like so surprised that I actually like really adored and loved and that kind of got me into like you know more abstract stuff like you know with synthesizers or you know minimalist like you know drum beating or something like that like real hippy dippy shit to like you know real like I guess like maybe like broaching into like new wave or something like that like just a little bit off the wall type of things that I wouldn't have normally listened to growing up but I mean just because the situation was like I had to put music on right I just had like doors open yeah and the best books that I ever received or the best artist recommendations I ever got were like from my you know my best friends or like you know my mom or my uncle Greg like they know me or they know enough to like you know give me a book and curate like my taste you know you're you're into like uh you're into like you know thick lines and paintings and shit so i'll give you a max beckman book biography or you're into like you know um weird you know drawings of people doing their weird you know city life stuff so here is like a a grotz book um or harry potter like you know that's one that my mom knew i was gonna get into she was like hey man here's this like magical tale that no one's heard of in the states but I heard it from like a UK like bookseller so right. there you go right I feel like I can't I think we must talk about Harry Potter at some point because uh, I'm yeah I'm severely lacking in my like I've never seen or read any Harry Potter movies or books um, yeah and it's not it was never an intentional thing I just have just you know because there's you know there's a there's an age difference between us but it's also like my like my peers seem to be in one of two groups it's either people that are 15 to 20 years younger than me or 10 to 15 years older than me so it's like <laughs> Yeah. And it's funny because with the people older than me, I often get lumped in with the people younger than me when they're like, well, you kids, you, you must be into this. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, um, yeah. But the flip side of it is like I when Harry Potter was first coming out, I was in my 
early 20s. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was probably about the age you are now, and it yeah. was, and nerd culture has changed so much in the last decade, decade and a half, where it was not, yeah. it, like, it was, like, me and my friends did get, like, teased and beat up in high school for being into nerdy shit. It wasn't like, oh, it's awesome to be a nerd, and yeah. it's great. I don't think people should be getting beaten up because of that, but it's, it was, you had to kind of pick your battles with the stuff you were going to kind of stand your ground on, uh, but, and it was also trying to, uh, trying to meet girls in your 20s and being into like nerdy <laughs> stuff like you're, yeah. you're like trying to like keep it to a minimum which you know yeah. that that's as much a testament to just like embracing who you really are and you'll you know you, yeah. you'll attract the, the people in your life who are supposed to be in your life and kind yeah. of weed out the people that aren't but yeah. you know it took me a while to learn that lesson so and when it came out particularly the first couple books were really aimed at children so I was yeah. just like I, I don't have any interest in checking this out but it had a huge influence on people that then grew up were very became very artistic themselves because that's such a like I look at Harry Potter to people between the ages of like 25 and 35 now as yeah. Star Wars was to my generation so I mean yeah. Star Wars was around but I don't think the Star Wars from the 90s had yeah. the same impact as the Star Wars from the 70s did so yeah. but I think Harry Potter definitely has a very similar place for your generation yeah so I I just I haven't done it yet I'm just like I need like I mean like nor, nor do you have to do it right but, but I feel like there's like <laughs> people yeah. who there's enough people who their artistic voice their artistic vision um, yourself certainly included in that I know it's like an important part of them that I like want to check it out do you know what I mean like or not yeah. check it out but like like take the time to appreciate it rather yeah. than just be like eh throw in a Harry Potter movie see what that's about but because yeah. I also feel like I need one more thing to obsess about like I need another hole in my head but yeah. you know I don't know I'll still do it at some point yeah totally yeah. I mean I don't know like I never really got into movies like I guess watching in the background is like all fine and good right but I mean there's like that specific feeling and you probably you heard this already there's like a specific feeling to like you know reading Harry Potter like for the first time not knowing what's going to happen next which you can't really replicate that feeling so much for the most part among most people unless like you know you're eight years old or you know six or whatever and haven't seen the movies yet but um I don't know it's it's very interesting I I gotta say like uh I think one thing that definitely changed me with Harry Potter was Sirius Black like that character um spoiler alert he dies in the fifth book but is he the one that Alan Rickman played in the movies uh, no, that was Snape, who also was amazing. I actually, I uh, I love Snape like both the movie and the book version. Like that's the one that like I'm like hands down like you know Alan Rickman got it right. Right. Um, he's like he's definitely my favorite movie character in that series um, and book character. But uh, no, that was what's his name? Uh, he played Sid and Nancy. Oh, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Yeah, yeah there we go. Did you know that Sid and Nancy was his first movie? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. What? It's nuts, because it's such an amazing... I mean, I'm a huge Gary Oldman fan. He's, yeah. I mean, 
he completely disappears into his role. I mean, literally. Yeah, you can't tell. You can't. You don't know what's him. Well, he did that movie yeah. where he played Winston Churchill, where he won the Oscar a couple years ago. Which, yeah, I wasn't. It was a good movie. It wasn't an amazing movie, but he was great. But I was also like, because he's wearing so much makeup in it, it looks yeah. like. I mean, it was very convincing. But until they would like focus on his face and you could see Gary Oldman's eyes, it looks nothing like it because you know Winston Churchill is three hundred pounds and Gary Oldman is certainly not. Yes. He's a very slight <laughs> man. So yeah. yeah, and you know, he was Dracula and Bram Stoker's Dracula and you know Oh, he was that like a uh, weird Texan dude in like Fifth Element. Right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, James Gordon in the in Christopher Nolan's Batman yeah. trilogy. And, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, he's I mean uh, and one of the things I didn't know until, unfortunately, until uh, David Bowie's death, he was one of David Bowie's best friends. Because um, he was on some podcasts, you know, maybe six months after Bowie died, and, you know, like he was on Mark Maron's podcast. He's like, Did you know he was sick? He's like, Of course I did. He's just like, I mean, insane. He's like, it's, it's, not, it's not my. He's like, He kept it secret for a reason. Why would I talk about that? He's just like, yeah. You know, he's not my. I don't talk about any of my close friends' personal business when I'm doing the press junket, you know? Yeah. He's like, Just because he's famous doesn't mean you have a right to know. Which, that was an interesting. That was the first time where I had heard someone in the public eye. Yeah. Articulate that that way, and he's just like people think they have a right to know. You don't. He's like, you know, we share stuff all the time. He's like, but you know, we also have the right to not share stuff. So I was just like, oh yeah, you can kind of divulge as much or as little as you want. Yeah. No, no totally. Hmm. Celebrity is so freaking weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. There was a. I've talked about this a few times because I, I I have a friend who is married to a very famous person. Yeah. Um, and seeing them interact in the real world, because you would never know when they were out in public that they were even together. Like, yeah. Not, not. I don't mean like husband and wife, but like yeah. you know, in the same party at a restaurant or whatnot. Just because the yeah. way he would conduct himself and at first I was like it was, it was sort of off-putting but again I don't have to live with him it was one of those but it was also um, up until that point encountering him I had never and I had never witnessed fanaticism like fans you know yeah. that were obsessed to an unhealthy degree and yeah. so so a lot of times so we lived in a very very small town and he didn't usually come out to the town park uh, you would see him early morning jogging and stuff like that but you know once the town kind of came alive for the day he would disappear but every once in a while they would go out at night and if there were a couple stragglers in the town who didn't live there and recognized him and would approach him he would just very very quickly just slip out Usually leaving her there, so you know. I mean, it was, it was a small town, so yeah. she would people could give her a ride home who lived in town. But it was just a very interesting thing, um, and I kind of like. It was at that point that I was like, okay, I get. I think to a degree why certain celebrities 
come off as assholes because it's you have to to survive that. Yeah. Also, just like super unfair to rate someone on their first impression. Like, you sure, know, sure. It's like you you give everyone the benefit of the doubt for the most part, but it's like you know you're jumping on this person that you've seen like millions of times. They've never seen you before. So right. It's like, <laughs> right. Well, and it's I don't know. It's. I just hate like you know whatever you think of Adam Sandler. I hate that people are like, oh, he's such an asshole. It's like. Right. He's just a guy. He's just a dude. Like, <laughs> so that's it's interesting. So I used to work yeah. at the Best Buy in Manchester, New Hampshire, yeah. and is Adam Sandler an asshole? <laughs> I wouldn't say that by any means. He came in there a couple times, but sure. Okay. So the the manager of the store, who's yeah. a friend of mine, and he's actually still the general manager there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very enthusiastic guy. Very, yeah. I mean, he loves movies, uh, but let's just say he didn't necessarily handle it the best way possible when Adam Sandler was there. And he made, because he was just there trying to get a camera and was like trying to like be very low key about it. Yeah. And, you know, the manager made an announcement over the intercom. Oh, God. Sandler's here in the store. Let's just give it up for, you know, hometown hero. Which, and he wasn't trying to be a dick. He just didn't think about the, you know, he was like, like, you know, an overexcited puppy. He was just like, I can't believe Adam Sandler's in my store. I have to make an announcement. And so, of course, as soon as he did that, you know, he saw his eyes light up. He was like, wow, what the fuck? And, you know, a couple of people swarmed over, but he got out of there pretty quickly. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe nine months later, he had to come back, but they called beforehand to find out if the manager was there or not. And they're like, no, he's off today. He's like, cool, I'm coming down today. Man. Okay, cool. So, uh, and it was, I mean, but some people might say, oh, that's an asshole movie. You're like, no, it's, you know. It's self-preservation. Right, like. exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I will say the flip side of that. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I, I, I worked at a live venue for a while, but I also go to a lot of concerts and I will. Yeah. As much as possible, if it's an artist that I like, try and interact with them at some point. I don't really like. I'm not a like an autograph collector or anything like that. But yeah. like, I I actually really enjoy just having a brief like conversation and showing like genuine appreciation. Be like, hey, I really yeah. enjoy everything that you've done. You know, yeah. but uh, one of the best interactions I ever had was this was in I want to say. 2002 mm-hmm. I could be wrong on the date it's somewhere between 2000 and 2003 but it was about 10 weeks before Queens of the Stone Age third album Songs for the Deaf came out which is the one that kind of pushed them into the spotlight and made yeah. them kind of a household name but Dave Grohl played drums on that record and he did a short tour with them before the album came out like he they had already hired a full time drummer but he played on the record and he was doing this tour so they played at the Paradise in Boston a really small venue I think it's like maybe maybe 1500 people fit in the Paradise but yeah and it was a great show but after the show Dave Grohl was the only one standing outside the venue talking to people and I had a great conversation with him. Probably talked to him for 15 minutes. And this was in the early 2000s before the internet was the way it was. So I was, I was kind of like picking his brain about projects I had heard that he was going to do. He did this record called Probot. Uh, yeah. Like 
you know, 15 years ago or whatever, which is like a metal project where you get a different hardcore or punk or metal singer to sing on each one. And you wrote each song stylistically similar to their band that they yeah. had grown, he had grown up listening to. Um, but it hadn't come out yet, and I had heard about it. And I was like, tell me about this. And he's like, how the fuck do people hear about this stuff? He's like, you know, we haven't really advertised it. But he was very not just gracious he was excited to talk to people and he was just I mean the thing that I remember him saying was I'm just psyched to be behind the drums again playing with someone he's like you know I've got Foo Fighters but I'm like the guy in front he's like it's just fun to be in the back just bashing away at the drums again and he's like I got the greatest job in the world because I said to him I said you're way more famous than I was like is anyone else coming out he's like I don't know I I I don't know what they're doing I just like coming out and talking to people I was just like that's fucking right on and the fact that still with all the fame that he had had with Nirvana and then with Foo Fighters he was still excited to get out and talk to people so now if I meet a musician and they are having an off day I'm like well they are a person but at the same time yeah. Dave Grohl was super cool yeah. so you don't need to be that much of a dick yeah but you know <laughs> uh, that's kind of how I look at that. I don't know he strikes me as like a very like you know maybe he has like some demons inside for sure but I mean like he strikes me as a very like you know um, bouncy person sure sure you know, like, yeah. you, like you see footage of him as like a kid you're like oh my god that's such a puppy right and it's kind of like you know thankfully it seems he seems like one of those people that kind of like hasn't lost that like right. enthusiasm right around people at least right I think he's like just like naturally curious he just like strikes me as like a very curious person absolutely and also yeah. super enthusiastic um, yeah because he I mean I love that he pops up on a lot of other people's records and he was just like I was psyched to play with these people like yeah. um, you know that band Ghost yeah uh, so he played drums on a couple of songs on one of their albums and was just like this is so rad or whatnot and, you know yeah. you, you'd think at this point He'd be one of those been there, done this guys because he's played with so many people. He played with Tom Petty. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, Nirvana, which, you know, other than the Beatles, probably the most famous band of the last 50 years. Um, whether or not people think it's warranted or not, they do have a place in music history. And it was just like, you know, so he was on the world spotlight stage for several years and he's just like still excited to be making music I don't know it's like a, yeah. I don't that's that's an amazing thing to me that like he's still got that kind of like spirit in him that he's just like excited to be doing what he's doing yeah it's I mean at this point because I mean I'm a I'm a Foo Fighters fan but at with, with each album they put out in the last 10 years I'm like eh, okay but you know I'm also like he he could not do another record for the rest of his life and still just like play live and stuff and I still I think have the same appreciation for him. I just I, it, the, the stuff that he's done lately hasn't grabbed me in the same way, but it doesn't change like my appreciation for him his enthusiasm. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. So, the third C. Oh, the third C. Comics. Oh, comics. Oh, man. We could go on forever about that. (laughs) Feel free. 
Well, um, I mean, I mean to, 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 to tie it to tie it back to when you were talking about deadlines before. Yeah. So you did tell me you, you kind of set a personal deadline for a couple yeah. months from now. What? How much you talk about that as much or as little as you you want to talk about? Okay. Uh, well, it's going to be the first issue of a series I had been working on for about five years now. Or six years now. I don't know. No, five years. Let's be five years. It's a nice even number, right. odd number. Um, and it's like took in like uh, different evolutions, I guess, uh, different changes uh, with each generation of uh, I don't know <laughs> abandonment, mm-hmm. <laughs> neglect. Um, so finally, like uh, it, it looks very different from what it originally was. You know, when I started with it uh, with a friend of mine. Um, and uh, I'm now doing it solo, but I intend to, like, before, like, I guess, like, showing anyone else, like, kind of, like, showing him it, be like, hey, man, so I mean, does this look cool? Because, you know, it's just, like, one of those people that you rely on to, like, I guess, like, give you feedback or whatever. He's got a beautiful brain. Um, and it is based off of Breakfast at Tiffany's. It's called Breakfast at Montgomery Awards. Right. And it is a uh, retelling of Breakfast at Tiffany's, but instead of, um, like, the main character, like, the uh, Audrey Hepburn character, Polly Golightly, is instead going to be this guy named Jacob Krasinski, who... Jacob Krasinski? Jacob Krasinski. All right. Which, he has, like, a Polish name, but he's actually a Japanese-American, and this does take place like around the same time of like you know 1964. Yeah. Um, so he's like I guess going through actual trauma he suffered being a uh, child in a Japanese internment camp in World War II. So I mean he has all of, like the wild whimsy of Holly Go uh, Holly Go Lightly. Right. But I mean there's like some serious PTSD in there. Sure. sure. Um, so it talks about like uh, talks about that aspect of history. Uh, and the main character is just like uh, Martha Brown, who is um, a woman with a mirror egg face. You know, she doesn't have a face at all, so she's like a nice little cipher. Um, And she's like, you know, uh, 100% romantic, you know, moves from like rural, you know, um, we decided that rural Maine would be a good thing so we could like throw Kittery in there, like a bunch of like weird Kittery references. Um, And she's just like, you know, kind of like falls in love with Jacob Kersinski, but I mean, she kind of plays like, I guess the George Peppers you know, character in which, like, you know, you idealize someone and it's not necessarily healthy, um, you know, and just kind of, like, going about the world and art with, like, kind of, like, the wrong intentions of trying to find yourself. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, a whole uh, potluck of ideas um, that I just got a little bit cleaner when I decided to cut off all, like, the really wacky fun parts and make it, like, an eight-ball comic by Daniel Klaus, which is total madness. Like, I'm not built for that, (laughs) to do solo. Um, So it made it easier just to, like, have, like, actual material to work off of. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and it's just, like, taken a while, uh, obviously, because writing is not my strong suit. But it's not going to be great, so that's fine. Um, Why do you say that? 
but <laughs> you say it's not going to be great. It's not going to be great. I mean, like, uh, like I feel fairly confident in my uh, in my line work and my drawing, but writing is um, there. There is a gift to writing believable dialogue. You know, you can like write uh, good poetry. You can write about, uh, you know, maybe flesh out characters and their motives. But like the actual flow of conversation, like it's hard to find a good comic book or like a good piece of literature or even a movie that's able to capture like real, you know, real people. You know how they talk. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I definitely see your point. I don't disagree yeah. with it, but I mean, Wes Anderson also made a bunch of movies that people love, and it's not real. Right. So. Yeah. so yeah, so not necessarily being realistic yeah. doesn't. Mean, I mean, first of all, yeah. being being the creator yourself, yeah, you objectively won't know probably ever perhaps if it's great or not and that's such a subjective thing but also this fucking scary thing is once you put it out into the world it's no longer yours it's not for you to decide that's terrifying but also it'd be great just so I have something out there it's done like my child is out there go have fun play ball you know some kid's gonna bully you but I mean like you'll well, and also, I'll be another kid. As someone who, <laughs> I, well, I'm a fan yeah. of you, Emma, but I'm also a fan yeah. of the art that Emma creates. So, and I, and I've seen plenty of great stuff that you've done already. So, there's a high probability that it will be great. I'm just saying yeah. that, or at least like you know. Okay, and we'll maybe get better if I just reworked it okay. for another decade. I don't know. Strive for okay, then. <laughs> Strive for okay. Yeah. We are striving for okay. Right. <laughs> I mean, and also, there's... Yeah. I don't know. I think the hardest part is just putting your art out there to begin with. So, like... Yeah. like you can worry about the reaction till the end of time, but yeah. it's the, the toughest thing you'll do is just putting it out. There, so. No, true. Like setting oh, deadlines. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Yeah, the biggest, uh, definitely the, the craziest thing is like um, I was working on a lot of like one shots this past summer, um, and a lot of them like uh, I, I posted on you know Instagram or my website and stuff like that. Just hugging Sandy. Right. Um, so, um, podcast break for affection. Yeah, I know. It's important. It is very important. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, like, I was able to, like, practice a lot this summer uh, with doing, like, one shots of, like, you know, short stories, whether they were, like, six to 15 and then 24 pages, which doesn't sound a lot. But I mean, if you're, like, working from, uh, like, from scripting, to thumbnailing so making like little tiny layouts of what the panels are and word bubbles are going to be placed um, to you know penciling and then inking and then lettering like it's a whole process and then like you know between that because my process is so rough and I'm still trying to like figure it out like what's the best way to go about it right um, you know then you have to like go back edit like you know throw away five pages or like you know white out a bunch of pages or something like that and I know it's it's a lot of fucking work I have so much respect to like any comic book artist who has like 
work out there in a store or selling on their table at like mice or you know tea camp or whatever like that is fucking hard and I hate that people are like oh like $15 sounds like a lot of money for this I mean can I barter like right. no dude no. like nope sorry <laughs> I mean you know maybe barter like we were talking about like artists will kind of understand what artists go through so sure. they'll be willing to do I had healthy about four years ago yeah. someone who I didn't know super well, but I knew through yeah. the art community, yeah. specifically through Ron Bray and through, um, who reached out to me about collaborating on a comic book, which I had never done before. And I had considered, I was like, well, maybe I'd like to do that, like, because I'm a comic book fan. Maybe. That's also how I found a couple of ex-boyfriends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it's hard being like, okay, I don't know your experience, but it's yeah. like hard being like the artist, like a woman artist. Right. You know, for comic books, because then you get all these guys being like, oh, I have a story. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> Which is... Sure. Well, and I think part of that, too, was also because yeah. it was... Because I found, historically for me, collaboration can be very difficult. There's a couple of people I've collaborated with who yeah. had great experiences, but for the most part... Because I kind of have my own idea, but it was this person was like, "Hey, would you be interested?" And I was like, "Well, tentatively." And and again, it goes back to like deadline because I was like, "When do you need it by?" To for, I was like, "Let me try doing eight pages because I've never done this before, and I don't know if I'll be any good at it." I said, "Kind of no risk on your side. I'll do it. Present it to you. If you hate it, that's cool. Just tell me that." Or yeah. if it's something that you think we can work on, I said. But also, I've never done this before. Yeah, I might hate it, which yeah. turned out to be the case. Oh man, um, yeah. Was it just like the edits, or like? Well, so did he not understand your work? Like, was that no? It wasn't like, so much that. It was more. It was the collaboration part that was difficult. I mean, yeah. I, I will say. And I don't want to get too much into detail of the plot just because yeah, it's yeah. something that I know he's still actively trying to do, but it's also I had a very negative experience with this person on a yeah. personal level following this, so I had to uh, take steps to remove them from my life, and you know, there might be a couple people listening to this who know who've had yeah. similar experiences with this person who know exactly what I'm talking about, but yeah. um, it was... It was basically a story uh, of a uh, 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 Afghanistan veteran, U.S. soldier, coming back from Afghanistan with a uh, traumatic brain injury, dealing with his life. Here in the sequels, put a lot of flashbacks to the war. Yeah. Um, but just, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of the dialogue early on was, um, you know, I'm sure it was authentic to the warfare, but there was a lot of, hey, look, hey, look who it is, look who it is. Oh, uh, Mackenzie. Mackenzie. Uh, oh, bless him. But uh, a lot of it was very, like, racially derogatory to the <laughs> Afghanistan people, which I'm sure the soldiers over there are, and I know oh, it's yeah. accurate, but... <laughs> I felt yeah. fairly uncomfortable with that, but it was also, there was a lot of, you know, basically the writer was dealing with his own PTSD, and I was yeah. like, well, 
this is a lot of work, and this is I think this is a story that probably should be told, but it's not my story to tell, and I'm not invested in it. Yeah. So I was like, I was already like, all right, this is so much more work than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So I even told him that. I was just like, you need to find someone else to do this. Because, I, you know, and I showed him what so, I had. He's just like, oh, man, it looks like you haven't done any work at all. I mean, that's why. It, and that was the thing, too. But it was also someone who was not a visual artist. Yeah. yeah. Not, no, you know, because I had, I had, I asked him. Because he also had no, no experience writing a comic, so I said, I mean, he had it in script form, and I said, I need to know what needs to be on this page, you know, how many panels are you looking for, what do you want me to convey? He's like, that's all up to you, and I'm like, well, that's not how, I was like, if you're writing a book, yeah. someone adapts it to a film, sure, they can take, pick and choose how they're going to visually represent it, but it's a... Comic books are a visual medium, so if yeah. you don't have an idea and you're leaving it up to me, like I'm like you're asking me to do a lot of work for a story that is not my story to tell. And yeah, I'm not, like, like he's like relying on you to do like storyboarding and shit like 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 yeah. that's a lot of legwork, you know. Yeah, and so I had done a lot of that. Yeah. And he's just like, well, why did you have this? do this and I was like because you gave me no guidelines he's like oh well maybe you should do this I was like cool that's what I was looking for before Yeah. so get as detailed as you want and he's just like well why don't you draw it up and then I'll tell you what I don't like and I was just like yeah this isn't going to work this way because this is a lot of work and he's like come on it's gonna we're going to make a ton of money on this. I was like well first oh, of well, all no you're not no one like, makes money off the comics comics at this point <laughs> don't make money anyway I was yeah. like even like Marvel comics yeah. Which sell tens of thousands of copies. Yeah. Marvel Studios does not make their money from comics anymore. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, the amount of money that uh, that they do make from it, I'm sure a lot of people is like, oh, I'd love that, but you know, it's yeah. not. That's not their bread and butter. Yeah. Independent comics, you're not making any money, especially such a niche thing as yeah. PTSD, Afghani veteran. I was just like, you know, the, it may have some critical acclaim over time, and it could open up to other things. But if you're getting into this thinking this is going to make you rich and famous yeah. A you're doing it for the wrong reasons and B you're high as hell because it's not going to happen but and he basically didn't take no for an answer so I had to you know I was just like I can't do this you can have what I did you do whatever you want with it you throw in the trash for all I care but I don't want to because he was like well I don't want to see these pages and something else and you know because this is my thing and I was just like don't worry I'm not going to use these but also yeah. Uh, and then going forward, there was some art that had nothing to do with it. There was a couple of paintings. He's like, ah, oh, that kind of seems similar to this idea that I had. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, Wait, what do you mean? As far as, like, he didn't come right out and say it, but it was sort of insinuating yeah. that, like, I had stolen ideas for, like, paintings from writing that he had done. Oh, cool. And, I was, and some of it was, like, sure. stuff I had never even read. And I was just like, cool, man. I was like, well, this is a portrait of a woman standing by a tree. I, I, I don't know how that could possibly be something I stole from you because it's a photo I took of a friend of mine. Yeah. And it had to, I had to get to the point where I had to block him on social media. Oh, that's toxic. Yeah. But, you know, um, that was one of, one of several... Like I mean, that was the, that was my worst experience trying to collaborate with someone. Yeah. But it was probably 
maybe not the last one, but one of them. And so I'm, I'm sort of tentatively hesitant. I, I mean, I have, I've got a project that I've been working on for several years as well that is kind of getting to the point where I'll need to collaborate with someone as far as like designing costumes and stuff like that because it's just not something that's not the world that my brain resides in and it won't be you know it won't be effective if I try and do it but at the same time I'm like trying to like safeguard myself beforehand before approaching someone and be like this is what I have in mind within those parameters do what you want but also like figuring out like because you know there's no there's no legality to it until money comes about but at the same time I'm like trying to be smart about it going off of like a lot of goodwill especially if you guys are like you know if it's like acquaintances or friends it's like not like an actual thing that like random house put together like mm-hmm. being like oh yeah you guys are partnered now like right. she's looking for an artist right. like, like if you're working out of like you know from the ground up with like a collaboration right and maybe you don't know the person that well to begin with too like especially right. like right. I don't know it's like I was kind of like thinking about this right now is like it's I don't know, it's like almost like trying to like I guess like speed date in which you have to like figure out a couple of meetings and ask them like you know what they know like about writing like if you're let's just say for comic books specifically like you have to make sure the other person like you know knows you know what goes into making comic that they have you know zero expectation that they're only focused on like the creative side and not the monetary side because you know if they're like you know going in being like um, yeah we're just going to make a bunch of money this is like a quick money scheme that's your first you know that's the first red flag of like comics art does not make money I mean right. money is great when it happens and sure. that happens out of marketing but I mean don't go into anything thinking it's going to make you a quick buck if it's so time intensive and then like another thing is just like you know making sure you have like the same baseline you know vocabulary right. like you guys understand like you know what shade of blue to use like you have the right. same uh, definition of a fucking table <laughs> like mm. I don't know. It's uh, collaborations are strange, and they, yeah, I'm always like mind boggled about. Um, I guess you know, like more niche projects or like more indie projects that don't have like you know the sources that like Marvel or DC has or whatever, right. in which making they made these like collaborations like happen and make it good like. Um, I know this one was like a collaboration that was kind of like made, you know, in a bit of a more professional level, but it was uh, Colleen, I forget her last name, and AF Venerable. They wrote this book, uh, this comic called uh, Kiss Number Eight, which is right now like my favorite comic book. It's so good. It's about like uh, this teenager who grows up in like a devout, you know, Catholic family. Uh, it takes place, you know, somewhat in like you know the early two thousands with uh, instant messenger and stuff like that. And it's her story of like you know how she, you know, discovers her family's history, her family's you know relationships with like you know sexuality, and she finds out about her own sexuality. You know, and it's super. Um, it's like a super quick read, but it's just like packs a punch. The art is done so organically. Like yeah. there's such smooth movements and like beautiful lines that just go in seamlessly with one another. 
everyone is like very specific in their expressions, which I think is super important that a lot of people like I, I'm coming from a background of reading a manga and a lot of times like manga or like, you know, maybe a lot of like uh, comics like Archie or something like you kind of like basic art forms, like a lot of facial features are very similar, right? you know? And it only takes, like, you know, a hairstyle or a piece of clothes that differentiates someone's personality. Right. Which is not, like, a good, safe way to rely on, like, who's who in right. the storyline. Right, But that's why, like, I always, like, you know, I'm all about artists that are able to make very individual... Did you guys know what I was saying? No, I'm okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, very individual, like, you know, modes of expression, you know, to tell a person apart and make them real. Right. Um, but, like, the writing was, like, phenomenal as well. And, like, you know, these people the reason why they were able to make it work is you know i saw i met them at um massachusetts independent comic expo like a couple of weeks ago um and was like just like totally geeking and melting like dude i you guys are amazing like personally like they're very you know they're very nice people and plus like you know you can tell like they gel well together and they were able to actually even though they're coming from two separate sides of the country um, they were able to, like, you know, make sure that they had, like, you know, set appointments and, like, talk over, you know, any ideas that were, like, you know, fussing them up or, like, making sure that there was always a clear line of communication. Right. And that's just, like, something that's, like, so important that if you're not able to, like, talk to someone, you know, in a civil way and, like, ask some questions or feel comfortable about asking questions or making notes and just, like, understanding, like, where the other person's, like, coming from or trying to understand where they're coming from, then, you know, it's doomed, but... Sure, sure. It's, like, it's... I don't know. It's like having a... I want to say it's like having a child together, but it's like having a, a dog together. Right. You want to make sure, like, both people are, like, you know, on board with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Or, like, you know, understand where to buy dog food. Like, yeah. you know, if one person never had a dog before, then it's like... And the other person never had a dog before, then it's like, you know... Yeah. Who's going to Google it up or talk to people who have dogs like right. about this? Right. I don't know. Collaborations. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny because I think about like, I mean, you know, I grew up, I was definitely in the Marvel Comics camp growing up, although having said yeah. that, Batman was always my favorite superhero growing yeah. up, but, and I subscribed to like <laughs> Batman and Detective Comics, but, um, my brother was big into like the X-Men comics, so I read a yeah, lot of totally. his comics, and, but all the Marvel stuff was sort of like oh, committee writing and even Batman at that point because you know when I started reading it in the 80s Bob yeah. Kane was not involved at all you know I'm pretty sure Bob Kane was if he wasn't dead he was certainly yeah. retired at that point and like yeah he was just like signing those checks signing those names right <laughs> but it was also both yeah. those comic companies yeah. are not run by the create. you know the, I mean famously the creators don't own those characters you know yeah. the, the companies do where but then I remember getting into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles which Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird started yeah. together and that was a collaboration and I didn't find out till years later that they barely knew each other when they started doing that Yeah. and then it became this phenomenon it wasn't an overnight success but it, did, it, it slowly built ground over a few years and eventually because they hadn't they weren't on the same page of what they wanted to achieve with it that's why they went their separate ways um, I mean they both made quite a bit of money from it but yeah. what, like that the, the book 
the original run of the book eventually imploded because they weren't on the same page. For a while, they both kind of had their separate collaborators, collaborators and they would, yeah. like, because I think they, they wrote and illustrated the, the probably the first... 12 issues themselves and it was because it was self-published at the beginning it was yeah. not a monthly thing it was supposed to be I think it was bi-monthly but I think it took them four years to put out 12 issues because of delays and stuff like that and then yeah. once it started taking off they were doing repressings because they're like well if we can make money off this why not repress issue number one yeah. you know but after that they started working like um Kevin Eastman uh, started working with Eric Talbot yeah. and Peter Laird started working with Eric Larson and they would like basically every other issue would be a completely different visual aesthetic and story aesthetic and they weren't yeah. like it wasn't like a through story it was like kind of like self-contained stories for yeah. a while but and that always like I remember at the time being a fan and being like very like confused I'm like why don't why are you guys not working together anymore I mean, clearly yeah. you both still own it. It was even called Eastman and Laird's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but yeah. they weren't doing that anymore. And then, like, learning about the history of that much later, and then also my own experience with collaboration and talking to other people, it's, it's hard. It's, you know, yeah. I mean, human beings are complex and difficult creatures yeah. in any aspect, <laughs> and to get any two human beings yeah. to be on the same page or even if you're not on the same page, but to have enough mutual admiration and, ex and respect to compromise yeah. and continue on a singular vision is like, it's amazing, you know, over over a long period of time, you're just like, how the fuck did, do people who do it, do it for that long? I know. Yeah, like, I think, like, of, um, I think of this, like, a one comic that I think it's still ongoing I'm not too sure if they put a hiatus on it because of like interpersonal reasons of what has occurred but you know the writer um, was tremendously like you know disrespectful to other artists like she apparently like went through like I guess like three different artists for like you know her comic which was like you know super popular it was, uh, like it was like sex positive queer positive had like a lot of like you know like uh, women of color in it and stuff like that like it was, I, I guess, like a very good uh, comic to like have now, you know, uh, available and to read. You know, that was, I guess, all encompassing to people, you know, who have been like, I guess, like you know, on the fringes of like you know the comic book shop. Yeah. Um, but what was like kind of very here sad to hear was that like you know. Even though the the work was gorgeous and entertaining, um, there was like just a lot of shitty stuff happening behind the scenes between the writer and all of her artists. Like, you know, there would be like a lot of like abusive language. You know, a lot of like um, a freaking a lot of ego being like, well. I'm the writer, this is my script, you have to do everything that I'm talking about. Last minute, like, change up, like, the five pages or whatever, or, like, I don't like the color scheme, even though you showed me it, like, a month ago, but you just have to listen to me type of thing. Like, a person not letting go of their ego to just, like, maybe 
look outside themselves and be like, let's just say like on, on two parts, like maybe be a little bit more clear and understanding where another person's coming from and trying to like, you know, put yourself in their shoes and like share vocabulary of what your intentions are. Right. And another thing is to maybe allow some flexibility where there could have been miscommunication or a different interpretation because sometimes it comes out very nice. Sure. Like, you know, if you're working with like, you know, two or three people, like there's going to be stuff that slips to the cracks and another person like picks up the slack and improvises or just like, right. you know, create something unexpected but good. But you yeah. just have to like have like, you know, good communication yeah. between that. Um, I don't know. I wish I knew more a little bit like about comics like with collaborations because like a lot of stuff that I do follow is like uh, just like creator base like the person wrote it through right, right, it, yeah, it, it, it yeah, yeah. Um, so there's like more of like I guess like a cohesive understanding kind of like a, a vertical what do, you, what do you call it vertical, vertical integration vertical integration yep. <laughs> of the creative process right. <laughs> um, but it is twice but, the amount of work as you know yeah. It's twice the amount of work, but then again, like there's also, I mean, there's also an element in which like you have to like be in constant communication with another person sure. who may have a different uh, a different viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, like uh, I kind of miss working with like one of my buddies. Like the breakfast at Montgomery Ward's is like uh, written with one of my buddies who just like has like I said a fucking beautiful brain. Yeah. Um, they had like a totally different vision but it worked well because I'm fairly flexible to like right. do whatever the other person is doing like take that for what you will right, right. <laughs> like I'm, I'm fairly malleable and flexible you know creatively um, so I mean like when you find like a partnership like that that works well like I mean it, it feels very good and uh, very energizing to be challenged yeah um I guess that's what I'm looking for in any like future like collaborations. Yeah. But in the meantime, running solo, uh, it's hard. But I could just I could taste that you know the fruits of that labor, like right. the result of growing that apple tree, the fucking smell of apple pie, if you will. Yeah. It's terrifying. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Did you? I mean, I know you yeah. told me, but I don't remember if you said on this. If you want to say on this, when you're shooting for <laughs> issue uh, one of Breakfast at Montgomery Ward to come out. Uh, I want to make it like <laughs> I want to be a diva over here and be like January 16th on my birthday. Right. Um. I don't know. Maybe it's gonna be like January twenty, like thirtieth or something like okay. that. Like kick it down. I really want it to be like the first like month of the year. Sure. Just so it's like you know I can't move that around. Right. Well, and also Symbolic. deadlines. You know, if you create a deadline, that you know you yeah. can't put that pressure on yourself to to, to get your that. fucking ass moving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right on. I don't know. Well, I'm very excited to check it out Thank you. once it's out in the world. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a good point to stop. I think, I think so, too. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you for uh, having me aboard. Absolutely. You I'm know. sure we will have many more chats. <laughs> Thanks Quite so much. a chance.